Good morning. Again, we want to share on the Christian home. There was a man who was just married, <clears throat> had a few small children, and he wrote a book called, entitled the book was, Ten Surefire Ways to Raise Spiritual Giants. Ten years later, he revised the book, and uh, his children were by then somewhat older. And he wrote the title, he changed the title to Ten Principles of Child Training. Ten years later, he revised it once more, and he said, the title of the book with a few child training suggestions. <laughs> I remember at, at Beckett, I... Uh, as a young man at our church, and we were talking about child training. And a friend of mine and myself, we were only about, I don't know how old we were, in our early 20s, and we were there. We had all these, we were, we were doing all the talking about how to raise children. And my friend said, well, I think we should hear from some of the older men how to raise children. There was this total silence. <laughs> Nobody said anything. And maybe that's how it is after you're finished. I don't know. Maybe the humility, Lord, we just need your help. But I want to be an, an older person that can give you at least some few suggestions and practical ideas. I want to be able to say this is what happened. And when it's all said and done, Again, last night, the idea of pursuing the Lord with all your heart. If you're a person that just sets his heart upon the Lord. And as we, he was sharing there from Psalms, it, David, and the Psalms, um, I guess that was somewhat my life story. And I, I like to just simply give my testimony a little bit, share what all I went through. And so I read the Psalms. And you read through the first part of the Psalms, David was constantly crying out, Lord, he often said, let me not be put to shame. My enemies, they gnash at me with their teeth. They're always opposed to me and don't, don't bring me to shame. And he gets to verse chapter, not a chapter, Psalm 89. And it seems like there's a real flip there. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. I will exalt his name. I will declare to the coming generation the goodness of the Lord. And in one place in Psalms, he said, my heart is fixed. I did, I did something valuable about that. Just take a, take a promise from the Lord and just Fix your heart on it, because if you're not fixed, you'll be shoved off of it and moved, but my heart is fixed. When I was first married, a brother had challenged us on living by faith. The exercise of faith, and we had worked out whenever so hard that we weren't even sure if we should have a spare tire in our car, but we gave up and left the spare tire in there. Faith is trusting the Lord. We build up all kinds of securities in our lives so that we're secure, and we need to learn to trust the Lord. But one of the promises that Vivian and I claim, the promise, or the, not a promise, but that the fact 
that children are a gift from the Lord, and blessed is a man that has his quiver full of them. That was a step of faith to say, Lord, you give us the children that we need. And there were a few large families, but the pressure was heavy from society and even from church at times. We had a little Toyota station wagon that was not very big, and it was packed full of children, and someone said, look at that, all those children. You know, we we felt the um, vibes. We felt the accusation, too many children. And, um, of course, we we had a small dairy, and we only had like 25 cows. This individual said, you're either going to have to put more cows in or quit having children. At the time, it, it, it came off my tongue a bit flippant, and, and I wasn't proud of it afterwards, but I thought, well, it's true. And I told him I'm not planning on doing either. And, and it, the Lord has been good to us. But we were told this act of faith, just trusting the Lord, and it's just a comment that I remember. You're going to end up an old man. You're going to be living in a trailer with tires on the roof. And, well, could I if I have a roof over my head? That'd be all right. So, But this morning, we had to tell you about our family. Now, I want to just declare it. We had 13 children, eight boys and five girls, and... Um, Eleven of them are married, and we now have 69 grandchildren. And um, in the spring, we're looking forward to number 70. I like that round number better than 69. We did have one grandchild that was killed in an accident. This morning, I want to declare unto you the goodness of the Lord. Fix your heart on God's promises. And if, and if God only gives you one or two children, that's okay. That's what God wants for you. Fix yourself in believing the word of God is true. And as an older man, I'm going to declare unto you the goodness of God. Stay with, stay with the Lord. And again, I want to tell you the world has nothing to offer you. And again, the idea of humility. Seek the Lord. As I remember in my younger years, and the I guess the thought that was heavy upon me was my first child was born. I brought this child into this world. This child will either eternal destiny will be heaven or hell. And I know that every person has their choice in, in life and they must choose that, but I have a big part to play. Let me get that song book there. Number 449, we, we skipped the, the second verse, but I, I like that verse as I read it. Lo, such a child whose early feet the paths of peace have trod. 
That's what I was talking about last night. A home where parents are happy. There's peace in the home. That child is blessed to have a peaceful home. Whose secret heart with influence sweet. A God consciousness in the home where things are directed towards the Lord. Honor and praise and worship. Influence sweet is upward drawn to God. It's a powerful idea there. I'd like to share with you some of the things that I've observed over the years. Some of the ideas that I have come up with as being very important. Again, there's a lot of child training books out there. And the, the, some of the things that I've heard and pass on to you, again, I want you to know if I sound like I have done it all perfect or sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I'm just a real person that has had so many failures. And one of the things I still like to say that I did it, I didn't. It's like the book of Proverbs. It has 31 chapters. If you read one chapter every day, it would be as good as child training as you can get. And I'm convinced that if you just saturate yourself with the Word of God and just meditate upon it, and again, it seems like it's not about the amount of reading you do, but the in desire to see what God is telling me in these verses and to get a hold of the verses in a real way and apply them to your life. I always think about that when when I'm going somewhere and somebody else is driving. I couldn't tell you where we went. I guess I don't pay attention. But when I drive myself, then it sinks in better. And you can listen to what the preacher tells you. Oh, that's a beautiful idea. But if it's a, an inspiration and you have gotten yourself from the Word of God, it'll sink in deeper. And if you practice it, it's one of my big principles I talk about. Jesus said in John 13, and I forget how it's said, but the idea is that if you do these things, the doing is what sticks in your mind. The practice of it. It's not so much in the head, but it's the practice of it. Some of the things that I've seen in some of us young families, when we started, look back on the previous generation, and, and we were not what we were seeing was not very good. They did not know how to raise children. And some of us self-righteous, zealous people, that's what they called us, but <laughs> we were. We wanted to serve the Lord. We're a little bit overzealous for our child training. Be careful of that. Um, the first child got the brunt of it because we were going to show them how to raise children. Be very careful of that attitude. Do it in the fear of the Lord. Of course, there is the careless, loose parenting. That's the goal I should be firm. Firm control with lots of love for our children. 
And I'm going to talk about that later. But again, this all starts back to um, did you ever hear of an accident? And I won't go a lot further than that. But if you commit your size of your family to the Lord, it will change your view and you realize they're gifts from the Lord. Every child is a special blessing from the Lord. And again, that's part of the idea that if you are going to manage your own life, and all at once, here comes child number five, and it wasn't part of the plan, and then you're not happy with that plan, surrender that to the Lord. Be happy with God's design. It's perfect and it's right. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The idea of train is to narrow them. My mind always goes to that customer I had. This was maybe five, six years ago. And he told me, well, he's studying all the religions there are. Eastern religions, I don't know what all he was studying. This man at that time was like 63 years old. He was a little older than I was. I was about 61 then. He's studying all the religion. When he figures out which one is the right one, that's the one he's going to follow. Then my man's 63. And you know what he told me? He said, I'm confused. Exactly. And then I don't know how I said it. I don't know if I said, well, you need the Lord Jesus. You need to... Focus on being a Christian. You know what he told me? That would narrow me. It was just interesting. Yeah, that would narrow you. And I am so glad I was narrowed down and my focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ because my testimony is, and I've, I've set my life on following Christ and it's proven itself. It's right and good. We need to narrow it down to our children. This is one of the things that I've observed over the years. And I I feel very strongly about this one. Again, your definition of Christianity, what you call Christian, what do they say the most popular verse in the Bible is not, the Lord is my shepherd, it's, Judge not that you be not judged. And I've worked enough at the prison, and I think my perception and my understanding is okay, because it took me a long time to work through that kind of thing. And here's this man with the ponytail and tattoos, and he says, I'm a Christian. I don't look at him saying, no, you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, you cut that ponytail off. I don't say that. I accept what they say. In my mind, it's pretty broad. But as a parent and as her church, we give a clear definition of what it means to be a Christian. And it's very, very important. Okay? If he says he's a Christian, we began to talk about what it means to be a Christian. We can go to 1 John. And talk about that. Um, Whosoever keepeth my commandments. I forget how it says it. If you love me, keep my commandments. A lot of things there. 
There was one verse in in First um, John, two verse. Nineteen. It's an interesting verse. Ponder that verse sometime and study it. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Do you see the distinction there? They and us. And if you read in 1 Corinthians 5, where they were to called to excommunicate them, is a very important part of this whole process. They and us. We and them. There's a distinction there. There was an individual that we worked with from our church, and he declared to me that the sisters did not have to wear the head covering all the time. They just needed to wear it when they earnestly prayed. It's not what I read in the scripture or my understanding of what the scripture teaches. And so we sat down with him to discuss this whole issue. And we and I tried to take him through this thing. And, well, he knows a lot of wonderful Christians that go off to war, too. And what do you do with that? And he knows wonderful Christians that were divorced and remarried. Oh, I see. When I ask him about these Christians that are in gay relationships, oh, no, no, that can't be. And I tried to ponder in my own mind what the difference was between all the other breaking of the commandments and and this commandment. But I guess he had defined it that way. One of the easiest things for you to define, this is what Christ calls us to. This is what Christ wants for us. And again, the idea of the church establishes that in a real way. And when I think, read about Revelation, I'm getting off my notes here, so... Here is a faithful church. The candle is still there. And I have, I, I give acceptance to different varieties of churches. But I have no time for churches that do not, where the sisters do not veil their head, where they allow divorce and remarriage, where they go off to war. I'm pretty narrow. Okay? And when I read First John, people will say, well, they haven't grown to that and they don't understand. That's fine. This is what I believe the scripture teaches. And this is what I believe the church should look like. That's, to me, simple. And your children, that should come through clear to your children that that's how it is. If you don't, they will be confused and they will create their own kind of Christianity. It seems like, and it took me a long time to understand that, that Christianity is more than just getting to heaven. Are you longing for the fullness of that song? And that's what we were talking about last night. 
It's a part of it. But I want to be like Christ. I want to experience his goodness, and I want to... um, There is a proper understanding of this whole thing. And if your children have a broad view of what it means to be a Christian, to get to heaven, why would you bother with a head veil? I mean, there's a beautiful hairstyles you could have if you didn't have to wear it covered all up, you know. Why would you bother with these funny ideas of divorce and remarriage? I mean, if it doesn't work, try another one. And that probably, to me, is, is the biggest demonstration. You're going to head down that way, you're going to be miserable. I, this is another story. We have another hour here, don't we? So. I had a customer, and it wasn't a first-time customer. And I, I'll just tell you, fixing appliances has been a real challenge for me of what to say and what not to say. And I have probably often failed in, in testimonies or, or sharing with the Lord. But she told me, she said, I'm getting a divorce. Oh, okay. They, she was 50-some years old. And she said, I can't take it anymore. And she said, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. Well, there I was. What should I say? I said, no, it's dead wrong. It won't be the best thing for your life. It'll, it'll wreck it. I don't care, Christian or unchristian, not Christian. That's not a good thing. And I'll declare that to anybody. No, don't divorce. I found out months later that her uncle said, no, they're still together. So maybe, maybe it was a good plug. Christian or non-Christian, divorce is not a, a, a good Option for you, you will only like make your life miserable. Now I am getting off track. But I want you to come through clear to your children. This is the truth of what the scripture says. If somebody wants to interpret 1 Corinthians 11 in a different way, that your hair is your covering. We as a church, this is what it says and this is what we believe. And you as a parent, give clear direction to that. Now let's look at some of the harder things. And that's the application. Now we're really getting into trouble. Now we're getting into, how many churches are in the area? Oh, I'm down here, but we have them up there too. But down here, I think you have lots of them. I can't keep up with all the new ones that start. There is a church for every flavor you want. And there was a time when, I can't use any names. Well, I'll use names from our area and what I thought. We, this might be too pointed to, forgive me. We decided there would eventually be this funk house that this was because we were the only ones that could have church together because we were the only ones thought like this. And then my friend, the layman, there would be a layman house and a funk house for church because we couldn't get along with each other. Somehow we do have to work through some of those things. And that's your responsibility as a church. But we want to be what Christ wants us to be. And we want to look at that in a real way. And one of the things that has, as I, as I looked at that whole thing of worldliness, that's what we call it, I believe that the churches have often not properly seen what is worldliness. And we have labeled things worldly that maybe were not worldly. And all along, what I've seen, we've had a lot of things put on, say, this is worldly, don't do that. And it ends up that the real worldliness is still bubbling out of their hearts in life. And if I could look at, 
I've had some ideas as a young parent that were a little bit off track. But the one idea that I was taught from another brother was 1 John 2.15. That one has stayed me well through the years. If you don't understand that verse, get a hold of that verse in a real way. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Sexual problems, money problems, and pride of life. Those That became my outline of life. I have seen some real, really, really plain churches where there was entirely too many moral issues boiled out of that. That's worldliness. And I've seen churches where it just bubbles over with money, covetousness. That's worldliness. And it all goes with the pride of life of who I am. I know of some that very, very plain. I'm really getting treading in dangerous grounds now. But they wear that hat in a way and drive their big John Deere tractors in a way. It's me. Look out for me. And what, what did we say last night about having black cars? It takes more than just driving a black car to get that pride out of you. Just, here's who I am. Look out. You need to carefully define for your children what it means to love the world. And you don't want anything to do. Get the love of the world out of your own heart and be able to define it for your children. When your Christianity, your view of Christianity becomes all-inclusive of many people, and I know a father that's like that and his children are confused about Christianity and they really don't think they want to be a Mennonite. Is that a bad word with you? And we were just talking about that this morning. There has been too much reaction against Mennonites. What do you rather be? A Baptist? A Presbyterian? I'm sorry for a Baptist here, but I'd, I'd just soon be a Mennonite as to be a Baptist and Presbyterian. They will label you something. All right, next point, Genesis eighteen nineteen, And God said, I know, the, let's just use the word. I don't have time to look it up. I don't have a mark either. Command your children. Abraham will command your children. That's a strong word, but command them. There was a minister that said, my father was not a Christian, but this was what He said, when he said no, he meant no. And when he said yes, he meant yes. There was another individual that asked a father what his, what he attributed his success to. He said, my children never said no to me. The first one is the idea of giving clear definitions, yes and no, commanding them, and they obey you. Now, when I was preaching this at another place, and, and, uh, and I thought about that, I thought, I think I'm a little too idealistic. 
one of the things we, that was my ideals was tell my child once, go do something, and if he doesn't do it, then correct him. Have you ever seen parents that just fuss and fuss and nag and nag to get them to do something? Have you ever done that? We all have done that because we don't want to paddle. And I don't want to get the idea that, and I'll talk about that a little later, that you paddle for everything that happens. But they must learn to obey you. When you give a command and they don't respond, there should be some righteous indignation. I won't say anger. But Bevy and I have decided that some parents should get a little bit angry because we'd see children just openly rebelling against them as parents. Hey, that's, that is not good. Command them. And again, last night we talked about you want to give them what they need, not what they want. This is what you need to do. And you're not in the business of, um, uh, what, what's the word I want? Um, arbitration, debating, tell them this is what needs to be done and have them do it. One of the philosophies of society is that children need to develop that ability to make decisions. And so you, you, you talk with them and here, don't you want to do this? My my favorite example is a child that's too big to be should be potty trained anyhow, and they say, "Do you want your diaper changed?" No, you don't ask them dumb questions like that. You just do what they need, and that enters into many areas. Your child doesn't really know what they need. I remember being at a customer's place, and again, I learned a lot fixing appliances. I get into these houses. And that girl got up. It might have been like 9.30, which was too late to get up anyhow. And the mother said, what would you like for breakfast? Would you like this? No. She had an attitude to start with. And would you, well, would you like this? This is good. I mean, we went through the whole kitchen cupboards and refrigerator and the pantry and everything. Would you like this? And I'm about ready to say, Give that child something to eat, and if you don't want anything to eat, you're not going to get anything to eat. Make the choice for that child. And I learned this from another fellow, and he said, the advantage of a big family, nothing centers around you. <laughs> and he said it like this. Um, if you, if, and listen, if you only have one child, your responsibility is to see that, that the world does not center around the one child. If you have at least seven children, you don't ask the one, the one child says, well, I won't be there for supper at six, you know, let's have it at five, or let's have it at seven. Supper's at six, be there. If you're not there, <laughs> you know, we'll get you something to eat. But otherwise, you learn to bend to what the family's doing, and it's the best thing you could do. For that child. Do you remember I said the importance of obedience and surrender? The more a child can surrender its will to what's happening in the group, remember that's the same way in the church. The more you can surrender your will to what's happening in the church. Count that 
a valuable thing. I'm really getting off track, but some of this comes to my mind. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't even share that. This, this to me was very real, and this has to do with church life. Why am I going here? Okay, let's go here. Because I think this is valuable to you otherwise as good parents. As a young man, I looked at some of the high-handed authority where the bishop made all the decisions. And my vision for a church was that there would be a, uh, every person should count as an important part of this church and it should be decisions made by the body. Do you know what the next step is? Take the authority from the bishop and give it to the body. You know what the next step is? Take it from the body and give it to the individual. That has created an awful lot of problems. Okay? I'll let that. But again, the idea of a group working together, families working together, they don't really know what they want. We are selfish by nature. We want what we want. And we need someone. Parents, you do a great service for your child to dig that selfishness out of them. No, this is what's necessary. This is what you will do. There was an individual from Indiana where some of my children are. He came from a drug situation. He was actually a drug dealer. And it's a long story, but he became a Christian and became a part of that church there. And he has a, he's not with his wife, but he has a daughter. He liked to build a relationship with her. And he took her out to eat. And he said, we're going to the subway. She said, I don't want to go to the subway. He said, we're going to the subway. They have a large menu of many different things. No, she wasn't going. Well, he said, you will go with me and watch me eat that. So they went there. He got his sandwich, and he sat there, and he ate it. And then they were on their way home. And I think she almost realized. She said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't act like that. Can we start over? <laughs> Listen, it was probably the first firm hand in her life that she's had in a long time. And it was all once a beautiful thing to her. You give them security. You give them rest. You give them peace when you just say, this is what we're going to do. It gets off of their own selfish desires and their own selfish nature. A real security. Ephesians 6, 4, children obey your parents in the Lord, and children, you need to obey your parents. But if they don't obey, it's a parental problem. You need to teach them to obey. You need to command. And again, as I shared last night, you have your time frame to convince them that what you're giving to them and what you're teaching them is right. And I often thought as a young parent, I want to be right with the Lord, but I also want to give to my children what is right. And it will prove, they will hopefully perceive that as being right. You have this time frame, and there was a a young lady that, I think that she was starting to 
uh, find her own way and her parents were pulling back on some of the restrictions and she said, you are going to see the real me now. And she said her name. You know, it's like, this is going to be the real Wilmer. You're going to see that now. And that's what's going to happen. You need to somehow <coughs> convince them by your life, your example, as to what is right. Here's the word I wanted. You don't negotiate with your children. You give them what's important and not what they want. Just a few comments on command your children. They need to obey you without needing a reward for it. I've pondered this for a long time. I don't know where you're at. Back in my time, we had allowances. I don't know if you give allowances to your children. My wife did not grow up with allowances. What, what's that for? Well, we, and I, I think all I did was, um, establish a little covetousness in me. I'd take my money and it was mine. But anyhow, there was a family that it was so bad that if they had to take the garbage out, they needed 50 cents to take the garbage out. If they had to clean the room, they needed a dollar for that. And I forget what it was. That's not, you're not, you're not helping the child. You're living here at home. Just do your job. You need to do your work. And, um, okay. They must obey. Obey quickly. Delayed obedience is not obedience. There are different kinds of children. Our children didn't, I don't think they did, talk back. I mean, if we told them to do something, they didn't say, no, I'm not going to do that. They knew there was consequences for that. But our children would sometimes, in silence, just not do what they were supposed to do. There was a man in the Bible, he had two sons, and the one said that he, would, he wouldn't he would do it. And the other son, and then afterwards he repented and he went and did it. And the other son said, yes, he'll do it. And afterwards he didn't do it. Now which one did what he was supposed to do? And I had two sons like that. <laughs> he, was, he would grumble and complain he didn't want to do it. And then he'd turn around and go do it. And the other son yeah, I'll do that. And then he wouldn't get it done. One of the things that I've observed and often failed in, probably myself, and I watch it in other parents, is you command them to do something, and then you don't carry out the instruction. You don't follow through with it. And all you're teaching your children is if, if dad doesn't pay attention, it'll, it'll be okay, and I don't have to get away with it. One other thing that we, we read early... In a child training book, this was by Fugate, and I, if, um, child training by Fugate, and I don't know where it is, but anyhow, you tell the child to, uh, put the book away, and before he goes to bed, and, oh, once he starts, he's in a puddle of tears, and he feels, you know, he's sleeping. You say, well, the child's tired, all right, go to bed. He disobeyed you. He did not put the book away. One child will say, no, I don't want to put the book away. And that's open rebellion. You can see that. The other child just slinks off the bed and doesn't put the book away. And the other child in a puddle of tears, oh, and then you pity them. You must, they must obey what you do.
There were, we discussed in the other day about sometimes at church they misbehave and you promise a spanking when you get home and you forget about it. Whoops. And the child gets all quiet and heads off to bed early. What, where did that child go? Oh, that's right. Promise that child a spanking. Stay the course. And again, the idea of telling them they need to learn to obey quickly and do what you want them to do. Um, again, that's another story that we heard about, and I won't go into all that, but you get, they don't listen, you get louder and louder and louder until they'll listen. And you're training them that when I get to certain decibels, then it's getting serious and it's time to, to work. We have a daughter-in-law, and she uses Dutch on them. And then they listen. And we decided maybe if we knew Dutch, we could train our children better. But I think it's the point where when she uses Dutch, I'm getting serious now. <laughs> you better listen. You need to know. The children need to learn. I'm serious with what I said. This is not, this is what I want you to do. Methods of correction. People say, let's spare the rod and spoil the child. That verse is not in the Bible. No, the verse that's in the Bible is harder than that. If thou beatest him with the rod, he won't die. And this is probably a, a difficult one to um, give you an absolute one. And some people would say, the Bible says use a rod. And if you feel that that's a scriptural position, you should use a rod, that's fine. I did not, and maybe I should have. I used my hand. I was afraid of a rod. And I wanted to know how it felt. I wanted it to, it needs to hurt, okay? The little taps I see sometimes, and and my first one, again, we were a little bit overzealous, but Vivian said in later years, I paddled like a grandpa. So I don't know how to give you a proper balance on that. But listen, some people say spankings don't work. They do work. And again, don't spank out of anger. And when you spank, it should be coupled with prayer. And and especially at night when a child won't sleep, Vivian said I probably did more praying than spanking, but the two together is a powerful thing. The child should feel like I care for them. And again, spankings at our house were, let's, let's talk about this first. Quick spankings, we're done for it. This is a little later. Maybe I should bring this in here. Spankings releases them. It, it, you don't tell the child, well, let's say when, when we offer him a spanking at church, maybe it'd be best to take him in the room somewhere and spank him and get it over with. But you realize the, 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 the tension between you and your child when you promise them a spanking at home. And if you promise a punishment a week later, that, that tension is always there. A spanking, Releases that and sets it at liberty. I had two dogs. I gotta get going. I'm, I won't get done here. This was my illustration. 
And it comes from Hosea, where it's Ishai or Baalai. The one is, I'll be a father to you or a Lord. God is our father, a loving father, and he corrects us, but from love. I had two dogs. The one dog was, I think, a, a, it was a German shepherd. It was an intelligent dog. But that was an interesting dog. And it would tear up stuff on the yard, and I was angry with it. And, and it would come slinking up to me, and I'd smack the dog on the backside, and, and it would jump up. And it, we were happy again. We were all happy. I, I could not believe that dog was like that. But I would growl at it, and it would come slinking up. That dog died, and I got another dog. And that dog, when it would tear up something on the yard, I would yell at it, and it'd go, whoo, running off. It made me mad. And I would run after it. I was, I was immature. This was back in my, I grew up some since then. But I thought about that. The beauty of a spanking just sets them free. It releases any tension between us. We had a, a, a minister that shared this, and he said, you deliver them from themselves. Their own, and she was at a neighbor's place helping her with something. And one of them, and my son, her son, was there just being a grump, just grouching about everything. And Vivian said, this boy needs delivered. And she took the boy and paddled him. And she said she was shocked herself at how happy he got. And the, the neighbor lady was shocked too. You know? But that's what happens. You're not beating the child to make it. You, you deliver them from their own self. You set them free. And that's what we, we want to do with our children. The, okay, I, I got off track a little bit, but the why and the how of spanking, um, the motivation as to why you are, believe me, children will embarrass you. You know, if you get up front singing, the one child just won't, won't hold still. That's fine. I know all about that. They just, it always happens whenever you want to make a good impression. If you're spanking your child because he embarrassed you or she embarrassed you, no, this isn't going to work. Spank the child because you see the value of this child's soul and you want to save this child and you want to correction. You want it to obey you and you want it to understand properly. All right. One of the things that we were taught as a young family, cry with them when they're little, or you can cry with them when they're older. You want to cry with them when they're little. You want to use that correction and deliver their souls from hell. That's what the verse says there. Um, sometimes we had a, a son that seemed like you were always paddling him, always paddling him. And sometimes it does seem like... Um, Maybe, maybe this child feels, there's different personalities. Maybe this child feels more in love. Maybe he's just asking for, for that and um, needs lots of paddling. But there is a place, I think, for control. The exercise of control in the home is, to me, very important. It seems like when children get carried away and get cranky and they get wilder and wilder and wilder. I had a couple rules in my home. One was you're not going to throw things in the house. Get outside. 
and there would be no hitting. And while I'm thinking about the no hitting deal, well, he hit me first. Well, he did this to me. Don't get tied up in knots with that whole thing. If, if they're fighting and they're hitting, the one that hit would get paddled. I don't, irregardless, you don't hit. I don't care. And if the other one hit, maybe they both get a paddling. Um, some of those things. They get wild, send them outside. They can jump and get it out of their system. I really don't like that thing either. Some people say, well, they have to get it out of their system. And I think it's like I was taught years ago that four-wheelers, you get them a four-wheeler and it gets it out of their system. It doesn't get it out of their system. It implants it in their system in a real way. You don't get it out of their system. And, and my mom, growing up, set us on chairs a lot. I don't know where all that fits in. One fellow just shared the other day that to stand the child in the corner, he would have got really bitter and angry. And I, I agree a little bit with that philosophy, but get a book and sit on a chair and read it. Just calm down a little bit, and it helps, I think. Some of the things that I've seen Flicking on the head, and they're flinching, and they're always juking. Be careful of those kind of things. Um, slapping the mouth, I see sometimes. I don't, I don't care for that. One of the big things was when a child cries to hold your hand over their mouth and until they give up. Some people really rebel against that, but it's been a bit effective for us. So, um, Just do not nag... Do not belittle a child. Don't. The the child has a will of iron, and he has a very fragile emotions. The will of iron, the correction, the spanking, helps them to surrender that. But to belittle them destroys and damages their emotions. Broken wills build good emotions. Shattered emotions causes rebellion, strong wills, anger, and frustration. I tried as I shared this to think of all the areas I could talk about, and I'm not sure if I'm hitting on the areas you want. Discipline of a child the exercise of bringing discipline upon them. And the chart that I had last night, you as a parent need to have exercised that discipline upon your own life. And then, and again, your sense of how God is working you helps you as to how much discipline on the child. And Brother Jonas just shared this last Sunday. I put the first one down as, just the ability to sit still in, in, in church. And his testimony was that he got all nervous, but he said we began in family devotions to have them sit still. There were sometimes family devotions. You, you let the children run around while you're having family devotions. Make them sit still. The, the idea here is that you do your discipline at home, and then they will be disciplined at church. And if afterwards some of your children are running wild, that's fine. I know all about children. Some people, 
I go to customers and they worry their children are too loud. Sorry, I know more about loud children than you do. I know, and some of them will say, "Oh, excuse the toys and the mess," and I know more about messes than you do. It's all right. Some parents can't sit still either. Some parents are always into the rush of life and activities. And I, some, this one is I, I can say this because I don't know it, but and some children. Their dad wants to exercise some discipline on them to make them obey, and they get awful, and so he lets them go to mom. You're not training that child at all. Mom, it's okay with mom. Learn to command them. They need to listen to what you have to do. And again, the moms and dads need to work together on this. If, if, Dad says no, and he, the child goes to mom. And I always said, well, what did mom say? Uh, and then she needs to say, well, what did dad say? Listen, if they know they can go to the one, and we won't go there, but they'll go to the one that's the most lenient <laughs> to get what they want. Eating. To me, the first discipline with children is probably Eating. Give them what they need, not what they want. Um, again, this is the food that was prepared for you. You will eat it. But I don't like it. You will eat it. And I have seen enough children. Most of these are from nine. We were just out of place, and I'm going to explain all that. And all that child ate was a little pile of noodles, and there's all kinds of good food there, which... Sorry, the mother said, well, so long as they eat what they take. And that's important, too. Teach them to eat vegetables, to eat everything that's there. Sometimes we don't make them eat a lot of certain things. And again, parents, are you picky eaters? You're going to pity your child. You're not going to make them eat what's good for them. Don't be a picky eater. I prided myself in being able to eat about anything. And if I come to your house, I'll eat whatever you have, and I won't say a word. But I was down at a, I am getting off track, at more Alabama. And they had some stuff I could not eat. I'm sorry, I just could not eat it. We don't make our children eat the odd stuff. They never liked mushrooms, and that was all right. We never had a lot of mushrooms. So Bobby and I ate the mushrooms, and... Sometimes onions or to- tomatoes. My wife never liked tomatoes very well. She likes them in things. Some of those, um, but the basic dish you will eat. And you will clean up your plate. The big push in our society right now is the, the amount of wasted food. And that's true. Listen, in our homes... Don't give them too much. And I I look at some of them when they give them a little bit, but they must eat it. And I sometimes a child sits there and you pity them that bad because you've already eaten your meal and you're full and you pity them because they're probably full too. And you, But when the dessert comes out, all once they get hungry, and we balance that out that if you don't eat much main course, you get a smaller portion of dessert too. Give them 
Train them. Teach them. Working. Most of us have grown up in homes where we learn to work. Society, it's very poor. There was my, my mom's cousin who was a farmer. And these boys were up in the hay mile just sweating away. And he said, I saw them and I thought, no. There has got to be something better for them in life. And he sent them off to college to be doctors. And I don't know where they're at today. It's the most valuable thing you can learn is how to work. You can call it culture or whatever you want to, but it's valuable to know how to work. And we raised our children on a farm and seemed like there was always plenty of work and never enough time otherwise, but I'm glad they learned to work what they could. We have a son a daughter and a son-in-law in Baltimore. He's an administrator down there, and I think that's a good thing. Our concern, will they learn how to work? Gardens, they don't pay, right? No. I'll just admit they probably don't pay. You probably have enough food stands around. You get cheap food around here. But to learn how to work. I hate pulling weeds. I shouldn't have said that, that. Children will learn that real quick. They hate pulling weeds too. Teach them how to work. And it's a valuable thing to learn how to work. Children, the, the first, probably the first one is picking up toys. When time to go home, they pick up the toys. And you see them. It's overwhelming to them sometimes. There's too many toys out there. Help them. Make it a task. If the, the most valuable thing a child can learn is, is a task. It looks overwhelming. Tackle it. And maybe sometimes I need to learn that too. An overwhelming job, I get tired. Tackle it. Just tackle it. Learn to give it all you've got. And sometimes I think parents just help them to pick up. Hey, let's, you know, give the enthusiasm. Let's pick up the toys. To me, it's very valuable to learn how to work. Work, be productive. It's amazing how they're too tired to work, but when time to go disc golfing, you've got all kinds of energy. Maybe you don't disc golf down here, but okay. All kinds of energy. Or volleyball, all kinds of energy then. Sharing. Make it a delight for your child to learn to share. It's one of my things that when they were given a pack of Smarties, I would say, I want one, you know, and I'd, I'd sort of make them pull one out of the pack and give it to me. You sort of need to learn the delight of sharing. Just doing it, oh, but I want these. Just doing it. Sharing is, is a blessing in your life. Teach your children how to share and sometimes they learn to surrender if it's company's children and you see the company grab the toy from your child. Give it up. Give it up. Learn to give it up. Learn to surrender. That'll be all right. If it's your own children, attempt to be fair. And that, that can go too far. But attempt to be fair with them and share. Learn how to share. And learn how to simply surrender. Contentment, and again, 
And back to the these other things. Sharing. Again, you as a, a parent, if they see you willingly sharing what you have, willingly giving, surrendering, they'll be they'll learn that too. Contented. My content am I contented? Do they know that I wish for a nicer vehicle? Do they know that I wish my house was just a little more remodeled, needed remodeled? And, and they hear me complaining about these kind of things. Learn contentment. And again, the, I go into, I've been in houses where the whole one section of the house is, is partitioned off. And looks like McDonald's play, play, playground. You know, where all the balls and all the stuff. I mean, they just have all kinds of stuff for these children. It doesn't make them happy. It doesn't make them fulfilled. Um, too much is too much. It, it, it just gives discontentment in some of these areas. I was growing up, I always wanted a pony, but I never got one. <laughs> I'm still suffering. No. <laughs> I, many things I wanted, and they gave me what I needed. My dad never saw it to be very economical, and uh, we didn't need a pony. Teach your children, to be honest, can be very difficult. We want to develop a transparency in our home where we're honest with each other. Extreme, harsh treatment can cause dishonesty. And that does not mean to back off on what must be. But they must have a freedom to make mistakes sometimes, okay? They spill the water at the table. Maybe your children never spilled water at the table. You need to be more careful but to give them a spanking for something like that is too much. They throw a ball and, whoops, it goes the wrong way. And it breaks a window. And I would like to say, and I didn't say this earlier, but there is a verse in the Bible that I've used. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Sometimes when they're just foolishness. They just need some correction. And it doesn't always have to be for direct disobedience to you. But again, as you ponder the mercy of God upon your own life and wasn't intentional, didn't try it, and sometimes even disobedience, God is merciful to me. You need to, that, that whole thing of firmness in your home is a hard thing to establish in an exact way. I've seen homes that are so firm that the child, wasn't a child, tried to throw, nobody will know this illustration, won't go back to him, tried to throw the tape measure. He was up on the roof and he wanted a tape measure and she threw the tape measure up to him. Whoops, it didn't go. And went through the window. Well, that's painful, but he got very angry, upset about that thing. Now listen, and then there's this other family. Ah, they just smile 
It just doesn't matter. Listen, I don't know how to tell you that. If you'd be like me, you have a right. Now, that's that's sort of how we think sometimes. But we need to be firm and fair and merciful. But we want them to be responsible adults. Trying to move a piece of furniture and they, they break the lamp. They're just being careless. We have a... Let me let me move on. No, I shouldn't start something that time. We have a going up steps. We have a a board there, and the the grandchildren love to slide on it. But there's a lamp right below it, and we've broken several lamps. Now my grandson, he knows enough. Get the lampshade off and move it away when we're going to slide. The child oversleeps, and maybe he went back to sleep after you've called him. Any of you ever oversleep? Be be uh, considerate. But if the child has developed a bad pattern, it needs correction. It needs to be given some order there. All right. I just like to, again, give you some words of encouragement. Hopefully, it has helped somewhat. Um. I, I promised someone I would share on this one. Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. The age of women likewise that they be in behavior as Cometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet. And um, go beginning at verse 4, that they may teach to verse 5, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good Obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And this is the responsibility of older women. Sometimes when a person is overwhelmed, and sometimes young mothers that have a child that just doesn't seem to want to listen, you correct, just doesn't seem to get it, your tendency is to have struggled loving that child. Just difficult. Older mothers, teach young mothers, this is the way it is sometimes. You need to be very careful that you love that child equally with the other ones. Favoritism in the home is not a good thing. Teach them to love their husbands. That's part of child training and you think well how do you do that let's back up to the other one some of the lessons that we learn from another lady is be responsible well, let's verse, verse 5 again 
Teach them to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. And they put that word in there, good. It's like one fellow said nowadays, who knows what good means? But be, be good, okay? Teach them to be good. Obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Um, sometimes mothers would... This, this was a lesson that taught to us you're responsible for your children, and sometimes you, you feel like running away, going to town, maybe letting the children fend for themselves at home. Be very careful of that. Maybe grandma's handy. She can, babe, she can keep the children. I can go do what I want to do. And that's okay sometimes. Um, sometimes grandmothers can be tired too. Be responsible for your own children. You are responsible, and older mothers should teach the younger mothers these kinds of things. I think I'm a little bit... Um, let, let me drop that one. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long in the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And it's directly, ye fathers, do not provoke them to wrath. Just a few things on that, and... Um, All right, this is, again, the responsibility of, of fathers. Your child should respect you just because you are dead. But you should earn their respect. The song that we sang, Let Me Not Sink to Be a Clod. And I don't know how to describe all this, but fathers, be a man of God. Be a person that is a respectful person. If you're a father that can't get up in the morning, let's say you're a father that's a bit lazy. You're not responsible. You're going to pass that on to your children, and it's going to provoke your children. I'm not saying that fathers should be in the competition to be the number one dad or be the, the man that's... Uh, my, my brother had a problem with that. I am getting off track. He wanted my dad to have the second farm. And he, I guess he felt that like my dad was just a plotter. He didn't go after that second farm. That's not what I'm talking about. My dad was very responsible. My, my dad was not a pusher. I'm talking about just being a responsible dad that does his job. I think we provoke our children to wrath when we do not properly earn a living like we should. A front. Don't, to me, this is a pretty big one. If you are one way 
when you get to church and you get all saintly and you oh, when you pray, you're just praying and at home, you're not saintly, you will provoke your child to wrath. He will see your front as well as anybody. And that's not just for fathers, that's for mothers, that's for all of us. They despise fronts. Something that is just fake. And there's enough books have been written on that. Light from heaven from way back. Boots. Have you read Boots? Your children will not be convinced of your Christianity. They will see right through that type of thing. Some fathers will demand more of their children than themselves. You don't want your... You're the dad that gobbles down the bag of candy, but you won't let your children have any candy because it's harder than their teeth and dentist bills and all that kind of stuff. They'll see right through that. Don't don't be that. i got to get finished here. Selfishly use them for your advantage. They do all your work for you. And one person said, that's why I had a big family because I had a farm and had lots of work to do. Well, I'm sorry, that was not my goal in that. Selfishly using them, you make your child feel like a liability, count them as an asset, and use your authority to your your advantage. I want to briefly cover up some of this stuff. A big one for me was moral purity in the home. That is a biggie. Some people feel like when they're in their home, they can dress like they want to dress. Listen, guard that thing carefully. Loose talk, loose dress can be very careless. And again, um, your reading material in the home, magazines, Internet, maybe I'll talk about that more tonight. It is very important. And a few last things here. Again, the feeling of being overwhelmed. There was one time, one time when we were going into church and we had about seven or eight children, I forget, six or seven. Oh, once it was overwhelming, I can't do this, this is too much. (laughs) Can't handle this. And thankfully that feeling went away and it never came back. Just a few, um, and I shared with a brother that there is a, seems like there is a time right there where the oldest are not quite old enough to really pitch in and help, but it it gets smoother after they get a little older and um, it seems like about six or seven children all under the age of about Eight or, well, not that many. Let's say five children under the age of eight can seem overwhelming. Give it time. And if you have taught your children to work, to be responsible, they're a big help. We had two girls first. I wanted a boy of the worst kind of way, but I thank the Lord for two girls at first. They helped living in the house in a real way. One of the things that I, I feel is you need some refreshment. Put all the children to bed and you and your husband sit there and relax. Just enjoy the time. Maybe give some consideration to where you're at and the whole thing. 
Husbands, be supportive, be a blessing to them. One of the things that I'd just like to mention sometimes, and I don't know if this is mothers or fathers or all of us together, but we use this term, people major and minors and minor and majors. And of course, again, that's you, not me. My, my, my majors are majors. And, but we need to carefully look at that type of thing. What are you doing? Are you raising children? Or are you puffing your image up again? I don't know if you're a perfectionist or not, if you claim to be a perfectionist. Some people hold that as an honor. I don't. I look at that as a crippling thing, sorry. And some people are naturally perfectionists. They can't help it. And if your child is a perfectionist, dig it out of them. If you're a perfectionist, dig it out of yourself. I mean, you can go so far as ironing your underwear and your socks. Listen, some of these things aren't necessary. You're wasting your time on things that don't count. If all your ducks aren't in a row, relax. It'll be okay. You're raising children for the Lord. and There are some mothers that will spend all their time in the decorations of the house and the house is flying away. Listen. I know all the neighbors have those pretties and flower gardens are are lovely to look at. If you're a mother with six or seven children, you probably don't have a lot of time for flower gardens. Come on, maybe a garden would be better. Running to town again to escape. Focus on what you have and not on what you don't have. If you have a family, you are blessed. One more story, and then I'm going to close. And it, some of you have heard this, and I shared this at the leadership seminar, but it, it opened my eyes. I was overworked, never enough money, never enough time to do anything. And I was out in the morning hoeing the potatoes. They were getting weedy. And a fellow that from the prison that we had worked with, he came out there. Wilmer, you are so lucky. Oh, I am. I'm tired. It's early in the morning. You have a wife and a family, and you're out here in this fresh morning air hoeing potatoes. You just got it made. Wow. I'm not looking at this right. I'm not seeing this right. I did. I had it made and I was being discouraged. If you have children, talk to a parents that can't have children. You are blessed. You might be tired. Get a fresh look at this. These are children. These are as arrows in the hands of a mighty man. These are children you're raising for the Lord. Lord bless you. Press on, keep looking up.